Healthcare apprehensions in the Black community is so loud right now. Especially with COVID going on, our trust in the healthcare system is depleted. And people within and without the Black community don't really fully understand why we are so apprehensive as Black individuals, whether it's health disparities, health inequities, or just social injustice. Black people are unfairly victimized in the healthcare system, and it needs to be talked about. The Culture Debrief is now in session. I'm your co-host, Doc, a.k.a. Fresh. And I'm your co-host, Nurse Bree. And we're here to celebrate, cultivate, and educate all things Black, baby. So fresh. Yes, ma'am. Do you have any apprehensions when it comes to the healthcare system? Uh, B100, I do. (laughs) It was really a rhetorical question because I already knew that. But for our listeners, I guess they didn't. That's true. (laughs) But I can't lie right now. Don't lie. I'm pissed. Big man. No, I'm seriously upset. Angry. <laughs> In this last month of, um, I mean, during COVID, come on, let's talk about COVID and just the health disparities in that case, but we won't go there yet. Just in the last month in my intimate space, have I witnessed healthcare fall through and not be adequate for my black and brown people? And being a part of the nursing field, I guess you get to see it from like different aspects day in and day out. Yeah, like I'm a patient at times and I am a healthcare provider. So I get to, and I'm a black woman. So Mm -hmm. I get to see it from so many different perspectives that some things that go past certain people don't go past me. Right. And Uh you have such a like unique lens to kind of share. Yep. Yep. I do. So I'm going to tell you about the first thing because it's, it's my personal experience. I said three, three things. The first one was me and I went and got some labs collected. I was so tired, sleeping all the time, just didn't feel like myself. And not until a week after the results had came into my physician's office, did they call me with a, hey, forgot to tell you, you're severely anemic. And when I say severe, like my iron was one and it has to be like at least like 60. One out of 60? Like it, 60 is like lo- the low. Oh, so you were low, low. I didn't have any iron in my system. Yeah, none. And the reason why iron is important is because it contributes to red blood cells. And my red blood cells were super low as well. And later on, if we don't correct this, then I would have to get a blood transfusion. Wow. So what I'm hearing right now is we need to fill out, what is it? Some type of better business bureau form or something? Can you do that in the healthcare system? I don't know. You work in it. I I mean, I've never had it filled out on me. I don't Uh, know. My bad. Okay. Proceed. So, I mean, that frustrated me. You forgot. Did someone, they they were like, oh, hey, because I see multiple providers in this office. And they're like, hey, did this physician tell you? I was like, no, none, none of the four people that I see told me. Do you think part of that confusion came from like you seeing so many providers or? No, because the results were in the computer. And I don't care if I see six people, it's, it's their responsibility to adequately and appropriately treat people who are severely anemic. And if you can't 
get that right, then you shouldn't be bouncing me to provider and provider because that wasn't my choice. That's their choice. No, I'm with you when you're right. So can you like kind of describe like iron and anemic and what all that means? I, I thought I already did. I, I didn't hear it. I, I thought I said when your iron is severely low, it causes your red blood cells to be low, which in turn may make you have to have a blood transfusion. Got you. Okay. So I, I was still stuck on a low, low. I guess I missed that from zero to 60. I mean, 60 to one real quick. Okay. So the next thing that has happened was with my mother. And um, unfortunately, in January, she was diagnosed with cancer. And throughout this year, it progressed from stage one to stage four. This stage one started in her stomach and then progressed to her liver. And we knew this. And she went in to get a CT scan um, recently. And on that CT scan, it showed that she also had a cancerous lesion in her spine, which we had no recollection of, which I asked her about. And she was dumbfounded. She was like, I I don't know anything about this. So I demanded to speak to her oncologist. Big word. So just fancy word for cancer doctor. So this, this individual specialty. The specialty is cancer. And he had the nerve to act like he didn't understand it was there either. So rewind. Well, I'm just confused because I'm I'm a nurse. And, and you work. That's what I'm about to say. I'm and he's a too. doctor. I am. Oh, you talking about him? My bad. <laughs> Go ahead. And he's a doctor, and he's acting like he doesn't understand or he didn't know that this was on the CT when I, as a nurse, was able to see it clear as day. So I'm hearing two things. So I'll go back to Uno and what you described, a breakdown in communication and kind of lack of knowledge around the information that you should have received. And secondly, we go to a, a specialty, a specialist, I'm sorry, who identifies cancer, knows cancer, has studied cancer, but was unable to communicate that a new cancer had formed on your mother's spine. At this point, we don't know if it's new or old. We don't oh, know anything wow. about it because this is my first time even seeing it brought up on a CT. And when I informed the doctor that I was concerned, he didn't even know the origin or when it was it showed up. So that that was just a whole deal. So this is everybody first time. Everybody's confused at this point. That's crazy. So let me let me think about or kind of talk about something. So in the in the effect that you are knowledgeable about the healthcare field. You have experience in it. You're studying it as a doctoral student. If you were not here for your mother, that diagnosis or prognosis, I don't know which one to use, would not have been communicated at all. It'd be diagnosis because okay. prognosis is just um, the outlook of what the diagnosis is. But right. yeah, she would have had no clue and they just would have been treating the cancer that she has and she would have just been complaining about her back thinking it had something to do with muscles, and nobody would have addressed it. And that's alarming to me. And I bet you, if it happens to your family, it can happen to anyone's family. It's not if, it happens. There's no way that it doesn't happen. And this is a part of the systemic racism that we try to focus on and help have people understand that you don't even know what's going on. Like some of these things, some people are passing away, some people are getting sick, and you're not understanding the full the full story of it, nor are you questioning it, but it should be questioned. As a matter of fact, you have an experience. I do. And it goes back to your question of 
do I have apprehensions about the healthcare industry? Are you a little salty right now? I, I guess I'm not salty. I, I think, you know, the more you know. The more you know. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking about experience, too. So um, having the opportunity to go through an experience that I went through has made me a better informed patient. It's going to allow me not only to ask questions on my behalf, but also be an advocate of others within my family that may not even have the knowledge that I have, even though I don't have a lot. Uh, but yeah, so I um, had experience with COVID. And did you have experience with COVID or did you have COVID? I understand the difference. I, I can experience COVID with you. Right. But I don't necessarily yeah, have action. to have COVID. So I'm, I'm just trying to clarify. COVID got in my body. Yes, it did. <laughs> Lord and, Jesus. And it will bring you closer to Jesus one way or another. You was praying extra hard during those times. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a prayer for man, regardless. That's but true. I say that to say going through COVID and going on a couple of dates that uh, it was an experience that, you know what I'm saying, I thank God that my immune system and I was able to um, come in on the other side but not have to get on a ventilator. I'm sorry, did you say you went on a couple dates with COVID? Yeah, we had some nights together. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but not jokingly, it's it's serious. And I can see how uh, many people are affected by it and such. And have, it has a negative impact on their life and has taken so many lives. Um, because it, it does things that you don't even realize that it may be occurring within your body. But here's the kicker. You are experiencing this this experience that we still don't understand fully. And at the time you were having these symptoms and you were concerned. And to be honest, outside looking in, you didn't look good. Um, so with those concerns, what did you do? So some of the first thing I did was reach out to my healthcare provider, uh, my primary physician, I'm sorry, and let them know what was going on. And so what did they say? Well, first, it was a communication, lines of communication. Um, they will let the doctor know. The doctor will call you. Just several channels and loopholes trying to get through just to alert my physician that, hey, I've contracted, I've contacted COVID and I don't know what to do. So you reached out and you never directly even spoke with your physician. Nah, he had no words with me. And you... Didn't know what to do with that information. So as a patient, you at bare minimum wanted to make them aware because that's your primary care physician. You were trying to be a prudent patient and you didn't even get a call back. Better call Tyrone. (laughs) Okay. Not a single call back. How Uh, many times did you call? About four times. You called four times in Mm -hmm. a span of how many like? Days, hours. days, something like that. You yeah. called four times in 10 days with no response back? Never heard back from him. Um, and during that time, I was like, forget, it, I'm going to set up an appointment, uh, knowing that symptoms range between three to 14 days and things of that nature. I'm just going to have an appointment and going to see him myself. No, but that's the thing. If you reach out to your healthcare provider, they should be calling you back within 24 hours. Now, I'm with you when you write. Um, and, you know, blessed for me is that. I am in good shape and I have a good health regimen, but also I had individuals in my life that could take care of me during that time and make sure I was all right. Everybody doesn't have that, A, opportunity or those resources to do that um, and the ability to bounce back. But even if you have support, like even your support needs to know 
what to do to support mm. you. So if you're calling and they, they don't want you to Google stuff, like what are you supposed to do? I'm just thinking about it as the lay person because obviously I know what to do, but yeah. what does the lay person do if they're calling their physician and you have support, but they don't know how to support you during a viral pandemic that they know nothing about? I mean, you're going to self kind of diagnose. I was like, man, I feel like I got, this is what I feel like when I have a sinus infection. So I'm, I'm calling back to the doctor saying, hey, I need y'all to put this into the pharmacy. And they just, they acted like I was the doctor. So I You probably, are the doctor, though. Yeah, they act like I was the physician. So I was calling in prescriptions. <laughs> they said I needed to call it. But you did. You 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 basically called in your own prescription. Own prescription. I did. You called them and you said, hey, I feel like I have a sinus infection. And like within some hours, did you have an antibiotic at the... Amoxicillin, I think is the name of it. Oh, I sure did. my goodness. That, um, guys, listen, that is not okay. It is not okay. One, there is a overuse of antibiotics and antibiotics are not harmless. So you cannot just, you should not just take antibiotics for the hell of it. Um, it can cause more harm than good. And he, he ain't no healthcare provider. I'm not, I ain't even going to lie. I'm not a healthcare provider, but that was a, a sign to me and made me better aware of like just the lines of communication that can be broken out as I discussed earlier, but just how inadequate things may be, even when your physician or your primary care, whatever the case may be, may have your best interests in mind. There's still gaps and things that lag um, that we should be doing better in, particularly those in healthcare. So people listening to this, I think the rebuttal may be, how do you know that these issues have to do with race? Like, how do you know that it just was poor healthcare providers? And how do you know that it's because you're black? And I want to challenge them and say, know the history. Know the history. I think oftentimes we get lost in our level of ignorance as it pertains to our history and things of that nature. Um, so we were having a conversation earlier, and I think it'd be good for you to expand upon, um, is the ideal of eugenics. Yeah, eugenics. So I, you didn't know what eugenics was before the conversation. Like, you never heard of it. No, uh, no, nah, not seriously. I just knew how to spell it, but that's it. Okay, spelling bee champ over here. Hey. I can't spell, I'll be honest. But anyways, Big facts. eugenics is just basically a set of beliefs and practices that were aimed towards improving the genetic quality of a human population. But the kicker is it was like the whole Aryan race. Like they were trying to improve genetic quality of the human population by making it more white. Like, Sounds it, about white. It, about white but listen though it was this wasn't even this like forbidden phenomenon this was something that was legally done the first eugenic sterilization law happened in 1907 in your hometown of indiana my hometown of indiana that, isn't that where your home is i didn't know indiana was a town <laughs> According to these people, it is. So in 1907, they made the first eugenic sterilization law. And basically, the governor approved this law, which made sterilization mandatory for criminals, idiots, rapists, and imbeciles. But these people that they were putting into this category were basically black people. So they were making it legal to forcefully sterilize black people. That's crazy. It's not crazy when I think about it, particularly as we begin to better understand and learn our history. Uh, but the fact of 
the more and more that we find out of how the black community has been sterilized, how we've been wrongfully done, each one of these systems, whether it's healthcare, education, police, whatever the case may be, they have always fought against us. They found a way. Always. They found a way to to oppress us in some kind of way. And this was in 1907, the first law was passed, and 30-ish states followed after that. And not until 1921, the Indiana Supreme Court ruled that this was unconstitutional. And it was unconstitutional because white elites with strong biases were the ones making the decision to say who is fit and unfit and who could embrace eugenics. And then none of us look then none of them look like us. None of them. Eugenics ain't for us. And <laughs> the issue is just, I mean, this forced sterilization historically has had so many implications to black people in general, but I'ma speak as a black woman. It has so, been huge when it comes to black women. Let them know, Queen. <laughs> So, you know, you'll hear older people talk about like a Mississippi appendectomy and an appendectomy is just taking out the appendix. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's called the Mississippi appendectomy. And what happens is you go in for this small procedure and you come out sterilized because they take away your reproductive organs. And they do this sometimes without consent. They did this sometimes um with with consent but not informed consent and sometimes they coerced the patients and said hey if you don't if you don't do this then you won't be able to receive your government government assistance just another way of picking prowling like tearing away and operating on the black male man and woman I'm sorry bodies to create something that they can't be. They literally were forcing hysterectomies on black women. And again, some black women didn't know until years later. They didn't realize why they couldn't, they were having infertility issues. And some of them knew, but didn't think it was permanent. Some of them said, well, hey, you know, they said I had to because I, my family wasn't going to eat. It's, it's a tragic phenomenon. And I would encourage our listeners to just go look back at the history of horse forced black women sterilization because it's awful yeah it's just interesting to really think about the like the the strategy that was put into place so we're not only just going to kill you outright after you're on earth we're going to make sure that you're not even born and the ability to recreate and reproduce will be will be it won't even be something that can happen like it's just not going to occur like we don't want to see you one way or another. And unfortunately, you're talking about alive, but dead or alive, there's no winning. Do you know who Henrietta Lacks is? I do, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, she's another great example that Henrietta Lacks, and unfortunately, through all the research and the lucrative nature of her cells that I will talk about, her family still remained in poverty and couldn't even afford health care. But this woman... Um, without consent, had her cells extracted um, from with a tissue sample from uh, Dr. George George Gay, um, and he dispersed these cells because they were some unique cells that never died. They 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 forever proliferated, which means they never they never died. And this was very new. Cells always died. You couldn't have them. 
her cells were indefinite. You couldn't, they didn't die. And he took those um, at a gynecology center because she had cervical cancer and she was unaware of this. And her cells went through John Hopkins and ended up becoming the, the baseline for treatments and vaccines. They have helped you know, um, treat HIV. They've helped with different antivirals. They've helped with um, cancer studies, polio vaccine, leukemia, so many things. And her family didn't know about it until later on. And these people struggled with healthcare and having enough money to eat. Yet this was such a big factor in the healthcare field. Another prime example of how the, the world is built on the back of a black woman. It's crazy, literally, on and, the back of a black woman. And just the, the mere idea of how blacks, we never receive our due. Um, in any case, and a lot of stuff that we have the chance and the way in which we operate um, in this world today. It's scary. You know, people are questioning the COVID-19 vaccine. I ain't touching it. Listen, I'm with you. I'm not touching it either. They, <laughs> It hasn't been enough time or anything. But, you know, people are being ridiculed for saying no to the COVID-19 vaccine. But if we look back at the Tuskegee syphilis study, mm-hmm. we can understand where these apprehensions come from. You know, being inoculated with syphilis at a time that there was already a treatment for syphilis to black people is is sickening yeah we people act as if we're we're making this stuff up like we shouldn't have an apprehension about what's going on in the medical industry but history has showed us contextually like ain't this not here for you you know what i'm saying like we don't have a fight in the battle the distrust is real the ignorance is real and the going back to this, the lines of communication are not open. And each one of the examples that you provided, one of the biggest things that I've seen is always the idea of without consent. But they always figured out some way to do what needs to be done without me saying yes to it. Right. I mean, it goes back to slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, the father of gynecology, so what they call, he used to operate on slaves like do C-sections on slaves without any kind of pain medicine, any kind of sedation, any kind of anything. He tortured these people just to study gynecology and they made it legal. And eventually they made it not legal, but it was illegal, but they allowed these people to do these to slaves. So essentially from when we got here to now, you know, I talk about my mom, there has been constant, time after time of legality um, issues and, you know, things that were illegally done. But this black apprehension, there is, it's factual. It's, there's a reason for it. It's definitely real. So um, as we close out and coming up on time, uh, what are some suggestions or recommendations that you may give individuals um, that may be seeking Uh, health care advice or just like, man, this has happened to me too. What should I do? Well, for people who are not like you that have social media, I encourage them to, you know, look out for (laughs) black providers, black nurses. 
um, black people that are informed and that lay in this healthcare field that can kind of give you some information. Because if you reach out to them about something, I'm sure, like if you reach out to me, I will help you um, as much as possible. Now, legally, we we can't we can only give so much advice, um, but. I want you to I want to encourage you to surround yourself with with black people that you can trust that have the knowledge so that they can explain things that you may not understand. That's real. And for people that have social media like you, go and plug yourself. How how can they contact you if they have some questions? Instagram C C Nurse Bree. And that's the critical care nurse, even though I'm going into primary care, but that's neither here nor there. Um CC Nurse Bree. Brie Neal, B-R-E, last name Neal, N-E-A-L. You can go find me on Insta. Love it. Good conversation today. Ditto. I appreciate you. Thanks. Oh, I mean, okay, you helped me out, but I guess my appreciation isn't worth it. I appreciate you as well. And we're going to leave with a final thought. And let me know what it is. What are blessings? Blessings are from God. And from God we obtain... Blessings. And knowledge. Thank y'all. We appreciate it. We out.